The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick and my tag team partner, Brendan Anderson, is out on business. And uh, so you guys are going to have to deal with me today. And please submit solid reviews after uh, after the show on the uh, second stage at evolutioncp.com so I can shove it in Brendan's face, which is one of my favorite pastimes. Most of the time it backfires on me, but... Uh, when it's uh, executed well, uh, good things, it makes me feel good about myself. Um, I'm actually feeling very good for another reason, and that is because Evolution Capital Partners uh, was a, uh, awarded a very uh, nice ranking. Um, there's a organization out there in the private equity world called PitchBook, and PitchBook uh, really does a lot of things, uh, tracks deals at, at, uh, in terms of valuations, um, you know, what industry, tracks their participants in terms of investors and, and uh, private equity firms, so on and so forth, but also tracks returns. And uh, the way they organize private equity funds is they organize them in terms of strategy and evolution is a growth strategy, meaning we're trying to grow the companies that we invest in. And then the uh, the other uh, way they categorize them is through uh, vintage, kind of like wine, uh, in the sense that uh, – Depending on when you receive your capital and what the general business climate is like is going to determine to a certain extent what your returns are are, are how they would perform. So our vintage, if you will, for our first fund was 2006, which was right before the big uh, financial fallout. And so uh, you may have put some money together uh, into investments when valuations were high and then you lost a lot of time when, when bad things happened uh, later on. So 2006 vintages are generally uh, more challenged uh, returns because they went through the financial crisis. Uh, but I am pleased to say that PitchBook ranked Evolution Capital Partners number one for the investment returns for 2006 vintage fund. And they're somewhere north of 30%. I think it's like 31%. I think everybody would appreciate that IRRs change over time. And so I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I know it's north of 30%. And it's something we're very proud of. As you all know, Brendan and I and the rest of the folks here at Evolution are completely invested in what we're doing here, working with second stage growth companies. It's something that we are very passionate about. And Fortunately for us, that passion has reflected positively in our return. So I'm going to pat myself on the back because Brendan's not here to do it. 
Um, we have some great guests on our show today. We've got Jeremy Eden and Terry Long, founders of Harvest Earnings and authors of Low Hanging Fruit, 77 Eye-Opening Ways to Improve Productivity and Profits. And I'm going to talk about the book in a second because uh, we, we uh, communicate with authors all the time. We bring the ones uh, on the show that really resonated with us, and their book certainly did, and I'll explain why in a second. But we also like to highlight other um, articles out there in in, uh, the blogosphere that we find interesting. And there was one that was written by a gentleman by the name of John White, uh, Dynamic Marketing Sales and Management Executive. Uh, he wrote a uh, article on LinkedIn, which is something that we find very useful. So if you're not using LinkedIn, you should. And if you are using LinkedIn, I would suggest you know use it to its full potential. His article says seven management traits that will make all your employees stay, which is uh, something I think we all strive to do, at least for the ones we want to have around. So I'm going to enumerate the seven here. Uh, which are are good. That's why I'm reading about it. Uh, the first is be supportive. And uh, I, I think it's not be supportive necessarily pat them on the back. It's be supportive and give your employees the tools that they need to succeed as opposed to being a taskmaster and telling them what to do. I always found that very frustrating. I think most people do that uh, you need to give people the ammunition to be successful and let them know uh, how they fit into the grand scheme of things. I think ultimately you get better results. Number two is understand and harness the power of praise. Positive reinforcement is one of the most effective tools for a person in a leadership role, and I agree. Um, it's uh, very, very important. Everybody wants to know when they're doing well and certainly can appreciate if you tell them they're, they're having a challenge and they've got to turn things around. Uh, the third is lead by example, um, which isn't always easy. Uh, <laughs> uh, everybody uh, has bad days and good days, and the wonderful thing or the challenging thing I should say about, and maybe it's wonderful, about entrepreneurship is that you um, you really can never mail it in. You got to bring your A game every day uh, because if you don't, uh, the, the wheels will stop turning. So leading by example uh, is sometimes a challenge because you get run down. But uh, leading by you know work ethic and integrity and you know getting the job done are are things that people will uh, respect in you. Four is a pr- show appreciation by hosting some team building events. Uh, this article notes that a lot of people have done away with the holiday parties and so on and so forth. But I think there are ways to show uh, appreciation and increase morale. And that really goes to the culture aspect that Brent and I spent a lot of time talking about. Uh, listen to your employees is number five. And, you know, it's interesting. I view this in the perspective of transparency, which is something that we talk about a lot on the show. And, you know, nothing stifles progress, as this article is saying, more than shooting down your employees every idea. You, 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 if you think an idea is not on the mark or uh, if you hammer somebody that is not um, uh, uh, necessarily on the same page when they volunteer an idea, 
they will clam up and not share their ideas in future meetings, and and that's 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 no good. Uh, you want to have them uh, feeling like they're they're contributing. If they're not, then you can certainly, uh, in a positive manner, get them back on the uh, on on the page. Uh, number six is be generous by offering incentives for longevity. Uh, I think that's a very good one. I always, uh, taken from a slightly different perspective, I always get frustrated when uh, DirecTV, for instance, uh, offers all these new rewards to have people come on uh, as new customers. But I've been a customer since 1998, which I think makes me a very long-standing customer, and I don't get anything for that. Same concept goes for your employees. Uh, you know, you want to certainly encourage uh, uh, and attract new talent, but let the people know that have been standing there and working hard, uh, you know, with you for years and years. Uh, let them know that you really appreciate their their service. And finally, be authoritative. I thought this was interesting, interesting uh, because it may go against what you would normally think. But uh, the point of the article is, is that you know people don't want a wimpy pushover boss. They want to feel like they're being led. And uh, when you're a th- you, you you need to make a decision, right? And the decision lies with the owner. And um, uh, I thought that was uh, kind of not what I would have expected for number seven, but I think it makes sense. I understand John White's point. So, again, LinkedIn is a great resource of information, and I'd encourage folks out there to uh, peruse through LinkedIn if you're already on it. And if you're not, you should get on it uh, because it's lots of good stuff. Um, as always, I want to remind everyone that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. We want to hear what works and what doesn't, and we want to create a true community of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. So you can email us at evolution, or, or excuse me, at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Uh, I want to turn very quickly to our authors uh, before they jump on our call. Again, um, they're very seasoned professionals, and I want to talk to them about this whole notion of co-CEOs because it's something that they uh, uh, talk about, uh, you know, in their in their book and their strategy. And and Brendan and I are in fact co-CEOs, and yin and yang, as as uh, Jeremy and Terry uh, talk about. But they have personally advised leadership teams of some of the countries. Uh, leading companies in PNC Financial, H.J. Heinz, Manpower, the Schwann Food Company, uh, Energy East, Webster Financial, and Standard Register. Um, Jeremy uh, uh, hails from Yale College and Yale School of Management, and uh, he uh, he was a McKinsey consultant uh, and served clients such as Goldman Sachs, Hilton Hotels, and Travelers Insurance. And uh, Terry, uh, his co-CEO, actually was a uh, – I guess Terry was a client of Jeremy's when she was at U.S. Bancorp and uh, really uh, was impressed with the principles of his approach, and she decided to join him. So I'm anxious to uh, get into their book. Uh, this uh, on the next segment. It's called Low Hanging Fruit 77 Eye Opening Ways to Improve Productivity and Profits. 
And with that, we're going to sign off this first segment of, of the second stage. But I always want to thank our sponsors, McGladry LLP. They're the leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. And with that, we're going to sign off for the cer- first segment of the second stage. And when we come back, we'll be with our guests, Jeremy Eden and Terry Long. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and my partner, Brendan Anderson, is out on assignment. Actually, he's talking to a small uh, potential partner company uh, out on the West Coast, and I wish him luck. Uh, We are here with our guests, Jeremy Eden and Terry Long, founders of Harvest Earnings and authors of Low Hanging Fruit, 77 Eye-Opening Ways to Improve Productivity and Profits. Welcome to the show, Jeremy and Terry. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, I uh, before I start talking about the book, I want to talk a little bit about uh, how you guys originally came together, because I told our listeners in this first segment that, Terry, you were very impressed with Jeremy and decided to join him in Harvest Earnings. That's, that's right. Well, it goes back to 1995. Um, I was working, U.S. Bank was, uh, was called First Star at the time, actually, but it, it became U.S. Bank when they bought U.S. Bank. Um, and uh, Jeremy's a predecessor firm to ours was brought in to uh, help us find ideas to make the, ba- the bank more efficient. And I was um, yanked out of my job full-time <laughs> to work on this project with Jeremy um, and uh, moved off to Milwaukee for a while. And um, I had, you know, had exposure to a lot of traditional consulting at that point and had never been terribly impressed with that, I must say. Um, I had felt like, uh, you know, you, you get interviewed by the traditional consultants and then they spit back some watered-down comments, you know, that summarize things to the people that you could have just talked to directly anyway. Um, but this was very different. This was about the people closest to the work, closest to the customers, coming up with ideas. So what, what Jeremy was doing was taking us through a process 
where we were really saying, look, we're the ones who are in front of these, you know, our clients every day, and we're the ones who are doing these inefficient processes, so we know. Um, and that was something so powerful and so different than anything that I, I had ever seen. And, and Jeremy, frankly, was just a lot of fun to work with, too. <laughs> so when I was ready to move on from banking, it, was, it, took, a few, it took a few years, but when I was ready, um, I joined him, and the rest is history. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think that that is uh, that is a different approach. Is kind of starting at the fundamentals and the in the front lines as opposed to kind of the top down uh, you know approach that you see with a lot of a lot of so so you fell in love with the the framework, uh, Jeremy. Was this something that that you were using at your predecessor firm, or is this something that you really kind of started doing on your own and created Harvest Earnings out of it? I had been at McKinsey for five years, and McKinsey is the ultimate, and I loved being there, but it's the ultimate traditional consultant, right, where this group of smart people come into a company and interview all their folks and then, you know, tell them what to do. So I left McKinsey in order to co-found a firm that was the opposite of that approach, because I didn't think that approach ever really moved the needle much. So while the firm has gone through, you know, some name changes, it was really started back in the early, I helped start it back in the early 1990s to do this kind of work that now we do under the name Harvest Earnings, which is how do you give the right tools and the right process to both the executives and the people closest to the work so they can use all the knowledge and creativity and talent they have uh, to make the place better and actually move the needle in a, in a big way. And the big difference from the mid-90s was that the focus then was really strictly on cutting costs. Yeah. It was a you know, big push to get costs out. Um, and now we focus just as much on ways to grow revenue because the process works on both sides of that equation. And that's a big difference. So, so you all have had a lot of success, obviously. You know, I was looking at your client list with, you know, some of these, you know, Fortune 1000 companies, yep. uh, both public and private. And, uh, and, and so you've been validating since 1997 or so this, this well, process that you've been working on? Before that, we actually st- I started doing this in, uh, uh, well, my first little experiment with it was actually inside of McKinsey. And then when I realized it would work is when I left McKinsey and started this in the <laughs> early 90s, in the early 90s and made a business of it. Okay, and so uh, you, I so you have gone through this process for a period of time, and my point yeah. is to our viewers is this is a very uh, validated, tested framework that has Absolutely. generated uh, a lot of results over many many years. Yes, and it's even though some of the companies, as you mentioned, are private, um, uh, many of the companies have actually gone public, and so they're being reviewed by their analysts. Um, you know, to to validate that it's really happening. So just to give you an example, PNC Financial announced to Wall Street that they had come up with 2,400 smart, new, better ways of doing things that are gonna, was going to be worth $400 million a year, every year on a sustainable basis. And the CEO went before the analysts every quarter to say, first, we're on track, we're getting there, and then later on to say we've blown way past $400 million. now we're at 455 They ultimately got to about 600 or more million. So it's, wow. been, it's, it's been validated by lots of folks. 
Well, so that that's an incredible return on investment, obviously, because yeah. I'm sure your your fees weren't like four hundred million dollars. I imagine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, but we do put our money. Darn. But we do put our money where where our mouth is. So we work on a performance basis rather than uh, by you know how much time we spend, because all we care about is does this actually help the company grow their earnings? Right. Not how, not so, how much time do we spend with them? Yeah, and so you know the the challenge oftentimes is it, with with these um, you you create a plan and, and then it really comes down to execution. And so is is do you all stick around through the execution process? Do you leave it uh, to the top management to handle that? And who's on the team to that handles execution kind of post planning? Well, we we are always available to clients to help, but we are not going to be uh, the ones executing ideas. Certainly, you know, at PNC there were 2,400 ideas. Um, there wasn't a single team that was in charge of executing those ideas. There were hundreds of people literally across every division, every unit of PNC had ideas that they were then going to implement. And, you know, just like it's important for the people um, closest to the work to come up with the ideas, they're the ones that have to live with them. They're in the best position to execute them. So we do um, generally leave a small team, a client team, is, is set up to continue on, at the, um, on a project to help the hundreds of people who are implementing ideas in case they run into um, some sort of roadblock. So they help with that, and then they also track. We are very big believers on um, uh, tracking and accountability for results. So a small team is left to work on that, um, but otherwise, you know, many hands make light work. There were lots of people involved with implementing all those ideas. And this mm. also goes back to the whole notion of low-hanging fruit. So if you work backwards and say, why do most huge initiatives and in corporations end up over budget? You know, they take too long. They don't yield what everyone promises. And the answer is because they're trying to implement something that's really hard has lots of risks, um, and wasn't well thought out and embraced by the very people who are going to be affected by it. And no surprise, you know, they don't do that well. So one of the things we learned was, if you want absolutely perfect execution, what would you like to be executing? Well, you'd like to be executing ideas that are uh, totally embraced by the people who are going to be affecting them. You'd like to uh, have ideas that were relatively simple, uh, that were well within the skill of the company, and you'd like to have ideas that had no risk so that if something goes wrong, you know, there's no real downside. And that's yeah, I think, that, I think that's a great point. And just to reinforce that, you're saying that, you know, the, because you're including the people in on the front lines in the idea making, they're oftentimes the people that are benefiting the most from these low-risk, low-hanging fruit opportunities. Exactly. exactly. So, so, for example, rather than some, you know, poor person at the front line being told by corporate, do this thing – it, what what happens during our process is the teams of people at the front line are actually saying to the management, here's something we know how to do, we'd like to do, we think makes sense. And when the management is approving it, one of the things they're doing is looking in the eyes of these folks and saying, so when you say that can be done on March 15th in two and a half months, you you really believe that, you know how to do it, and that team is able to say to them, absolutely, here's, you know, here's how we know. We are able to do it. So when March 15th rolls around, you know, there's usually uh, 
uh, um, you know, little celebration actually around the fact that, hey, we told you we could do it. We did it. We call it the buy-in is built in. That's how we describe that whole thing. That's good. So, uh, so um, Terry, you, you had said earlier that PNC has something like 2,500, you know, uh, projects uh, or opportunities identified. How do you all determine how to prioritize which projects that they pursue first? Well, um, you know, for, because most of these are low-hanging fruit, they're, you know, low-risk, easy ideas, many of them just are very simple to implement. So they're just done. Um, so, you know, at the end of the project, uh, you know, there were 2,500 of them, but there were, or 2,400 actually, there were 60 teams. So no team had that many to do. Um, some had 10, some had 100, you know, but it, it was a much smaller and more manageable range. So each team, when they had their ideas that were approved and were going to be implemented, they scheduled it out. Many of the things were done very quickly. In fact, I think about, Jeremy, correct me on this, about 80% were done in six months? Well, on an on a earnings basis, 50% of it was achieved in six months okay. and virtually all of it within 12 months. And because they're low-hanging fruit, it really helps with the execution side of the equation that I was asking about earlier. Absolutely. Right. Yep. So Warren Buffett has this thing of, I don't look for seven-foot uh, bars to jump over. I look for one-foot bars I can just step over. So, you know, our goal is to find as many of these things that can be done without great effort or risk. But they, there's this huge company usually and the problem with most companies is they they put all their eggs in you know three baskets five baskets ten baskets but instead you're looking at every process every activity every unit any given one of them doesn't have a big burden to bear but collectively they can contribute this huge you know value another thing that we do to to help this issue is that we force people to think about non-technology answers before they turn to technology a lot of technology investment is um, blessed uh, because people show all these benefits, but if you dig in, a lot of the benefits often can be, can be had without technology. So we really focus on making sure that teams separate those issues and get you know, as much as they can without a big investment that takes a lot of time and you know, is risky. Yeah, yeah. So um, as I start to turn towards your book, uh, Low-Hanging Fruit, 77 Eye-Opening Ways to Improve Productivity and Profits, uh, throughout the book, you, you, you provide quotes, and uh, uh-huh. like you just quoted Warren Buffett, I saw that in your yeah. book. Um, is there somebody that you – you all look to for inspiration in your work or guidance? Is there some guru out there? And Brenda and I have our favorites. Is there somebody out there that you all look to that says, look, they had a significant impact on our outlook in, in terms of executing this um, strategy? I, I wouldn't say that we have a guru that um, inspired us because to some degree we – you know, we feel we sort of pioneered this, but we do have a, a large number of people that, um, you know, inspire certain elements of it. And, and an overarching one is this quote from Lou Platt, the former CEO of Hewlett Packard, because he said, if only HP knew what HP knows, we'd be three times more productive. And he never figured out a way to make that happen. <laughs> 
whereas we feel we did. But the fact that he put his finger on the real core problem, um, we found very inspirational. Huh. No, I, I, that's a good quote. Um, so, so you you all have been validating this model. You've you've obviously had wonderful results. And so, when did you guys come to the decision that you wanted to to write this book? Because it just came out this year. It did. It just um, was released on March third, but it has been at least four years in the uh, in the making. Uh, a lot of time spent at airports waiting for delayed flights, and uh, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so about four years ago, we decided, and I think it um, came out of the fact that, you know, people would ask us about one thing or another, and we would give some short answer with a little bit of humor and a quote and some insight, and people seemed to like it. So then we started writing some of those, either as a blog or for other purposes. And Terry and I both love to write. Um, as you may gather, we also both like to talk. But uh, we like to <laughs> but you're interesting to listen to, so you get a pass on that one. Yes, that's good, but it doesn't matter. If you want to leave at any time, we'll keep talking. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so we and thank did, God that you guys charge on results and not on yeah. time, too. Cause... Oh, very good catch well, there. Ooh, good, good point. I so catch we... my lawyers talking slow, too, or a lot. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we know that story. So we uh, we just started writing some of these chapters, and then Terry really had this idea that we should put it into a book form and make it not, you know, a lot of people say, what's your process? Could you describe your process? And we didn't want to write another one of these business books that sound great, but I don't know, I read a million of them. I never get much out of them. We wanted something that, you know, people with short attention span who are very distracted could just open up to any page, read for three minutes, and get something useful, you know, that they could do that day. Yeah, we were, the, the, the whole principle was practical. It has to be practical. And, you know, really we were frustrated, too. We see so much bad behavior in corporate America that we wanted to get it all out. Um, so yeah. it, it, it was therapeutic for us. <laughs> well, look, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be back shortly to actually discuss the book uh, that Jeremy Eden and Terry Long, founders of Harvest Earnings, uh, wrote. It's called Low-Hanging Fruit, 77 Eye-Opening Ways to Improve Productivity and Profits, and it was just released in March of, of this year, 2014. Uh, and with that, we will take a quick break from the second stage. Thanks for tuning in. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is our show, but it is a forum, so we're looking for input from you so we can benefit from everyone's experience. Don't be shy. Everyone has made mistakes, including Brendan and sometimes me. Uh, We're back here with our guests, Jeremy Eden and Terry Long, founders of Harvest Earnings and authors of Low Hanging Fruit, 77 Eye-Opening Ways to Improve Productivity and Profits. Um, So we we left off the first segment, uh, Jeremy and Terry, uh, really leading into the book that you've written and uh, uh, what the first thing I noticed when I was going through the the book was the chapters are so short, and uh, and and the advice was so practical and and much like what we try to do here at Evolution, you want to provide actionable uh, advice and and really encourage people to get started. Right. So what I want to do is go through some of the chapters that that we all agreed are more oriented towards you know our audience, which are small business owners, and and the first one that you all had mentioned was putting a price tag on everything to stop the waste. Yep. So what that's about is we often do things or produce things without really knowing what the cost is. We we may not even know what the value to someone else of it is, but we don't even know the cost of producing it. So we don't know how much it costs to have that report written or to, uh, you know, um, undertake some activity. So what we want people to do is to really identify what is the actual cost of the components of that activity. And just to give you a, a little example, and this is from my, my father many years ago, he was working in a company, and they were making a, uh, um, some electronic equipment. And he had somebody take apart the entire piece of equipment, lay out every single component, the screws, the washers, the resistors, everything. Uh, resistors tells you this is quite some time ago, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, and he had someone go down to a hardware store and get price tags, you know, those actual, uh, you know, pieces stickers. of stickers and write down the cost of every single one of those components. And then he brought his team in and said, which of these could we get cheaper? Which could we eliminate? And every one we do, we rack up money, and and we can actually add up how much it is. So he did it in a very visceral way. And we recommend people do it either either that uh, clearly or at least on a spreadsheet somewhere so they're aware of what they're spending. Yeah, and so in your book, you ba- you're basically talking about your father and your example here. <laughs> it's uh, so that one hit close to home. Uh, I think that's very good. So your next point is is really value engineering your products to eliminate what your customers won't pay for, and you had a good you had a good example in there as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, we uh, we do. I. I, uh, I'll give you a different one, though, um, that's similar. So we have a, a client who um, makes frozen pies, and one of the issues the factory was having was getting uh, the caramel drizzle on top of the pie to look right. 
So when they took a hard look at what customers actually valued on that pie, um, it turned out that this hard thing that they were doing, which was trying to cover the pie with this drizzle, was not valued by the clients. They actually, the customers, they really wanted to see the other uh, ingredients that were underneath the crumbs, the chocolate, and wanted more of a balance. So they were doing this hard, expensive thing to the pie, and customers weren't enjoying it. I, you know what? I think that's such an instructive point because I don't think – I mean, not that the other one wasn't, uh, but but I think that was just kind of an interesting twist to say, are you sure that your customers actually want this? We actually owned a business a number of years ago that – it was a commodity business and something we would never do today, but we tried so hard and spent so much money trying to make it into something more interesting than it actually was, and nobody yep. actually cared. Right. <laughs> so we, right. we scrapped that strategy and margins went up. Yep. So yep. Um, exactly anyway, right. uh, so the, 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 the other uh, chapter uh, was talking about ask why five times to see the real problem, which I thought was an interesting and novel approach. So there's nobody that learns more faster than a two-year-old going, why, 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 and really drilling down to figure out how the world works, because the world's a big mystery to them. Well, in business, we find the same thing. So just to give you an example, we were at a company that um, uh, used part-timers, but if they could use many more part-timers, they would be able to staff up during the busy times which would be good for customers, and staff down during the slow times, which would be good for the bottom line. So the question was, how do you get more part-timers? Well, they all knew, and I put new in quotes, that to attract part-timers, they needed to pay them benefits, and if they paid them benefits, that was going to blow up the, the economics. So we have them ask themselves over and over, why do people really not become part-timers? Why is it, what, you know, what is it? And it turns out it had nothing to do with benefits because the pool that they were really going after were parents who wanted a part-time job that they could fit around the school hours of their children. And the real sticking point was that the schedules kept changing. The company would hire someone and promise them that they wouldn't be needed before 9 in the morning, and then they'd send them an email the night before saying, can you come in for training at 7.30? And that was a big problem. And as soon as the company realized that the real reason, the real cause of having a hard time recruiting was fixing the schedules, they just fixed the schedules, made commitments they could live with, and it became much easier uh, to recruit very high-quality people. Mm. So so how is that different than the other chapter that we were going to talk about, which is how do we know that it is true? Well, you know how I said uh, new in quotes? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going right. after. Yeah. So the, the difference is that you can ask somebody why is something the case, and with great certainty they can give you an answer. And particularly if they're your boss or a respected colleague, it can feel very uncomfortable to say, but how do you know that? But it, it's very important that in companies a culture be built where you can ask, How do you know that? Because often what that person said with great confidence, as Mark Twain said, just ain't true, and it's the part that you know that ain't true that's the most dangerous. And here's a a good how do you know that's true story. So we were at a client, and we were asking the factory managers to come up with ideas 
for the factories, and we didn't get much that required investment in, in new machinery, which we thought was very strange. Factories usually have a lot. Um, and when we questioned the factory managers, they said, well, you know, we have this IRR requirement of 55%, and we just don't have ideas that will pay back that quickly. And we went, 55%? That Really? That's crazy. Um, that seems very, very high. And um, it turns out it was a, a, a corporate myth of a bit. A couple years earlier, a single factory had been um, you know, on the block. They were going to sell it uh, not far down the line. So for that factory, they put in a rule that we weren't going to do any investments unless it paid back super fast. But that had spread to the other factory managers. And suddenly it was Oh, yeah, IRR 55% or no investment. So once we busted that corporate myth, the idea <laughs> lion. They were like, oh, we have a drawer full. So how do you know it's true? So, so really it's about tr- getting to the underlying truth of the matter and determining Absolutely. whether the foundation makes any sense or not. That's right. Whether it, yeah, have you, it's the scientific truth, uh, you know, ger- um, search for truth and right. being very fact-driven. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's that's a good one. And then um, the next the next one, number five, I think that's five. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, ask the people closest to the work for their ideas. So this one we've probably touched on in the earlier segment, but just uh, you, you know, one of the problems in in most companies, particularly large ones, but even small ones, is everybody thinks that oh, there's a small go-to group of very talented people, and they should always undertake every important project to improve the company. And that's just not true, because in every company, the people who are closest to the work, closest to the customer, they're smart, they're talented, they care passionately about the company, and they see. They either know a lot of good ideas already, or they don't know good ideas, but they see the problems or, the, or have frustrations that with the right process can be turned into good ideas. And so, as we said earlier, you know, PNC actually generated 6,000 ideas, and then they chose 2,400 of them that made sense for the company. We were at another company where in, a, in 30 days they came up with 8,000 ideas and determined that there were about... Uh, 2,000 or so that made sense. So, and in other companies that are smaller, it might be 500 ideas. But by asking people who are day-to-day undertaking an activity, they can share with you some frustration or problem that becomes one of these, you know, smart ideas. Let me ask you something. Uh, What percentage of the 2,400 ideas that PNC ultimately decided to pursue came from the front lines and not from the executive office? Basically all of them. Yeah, 99.9. <laughs> there might have been one. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, very, that's a very instructive uh, data point there for all of our <laughs> listeners that uh, you ought to just take a chair and sit down at the front lines and, and learn. Um, I, that's, that's, that's very interesting. But I want to make an important point. You can't put up a suggestion box and just say, email in your, your good ideas. What made this work was that the senior leadership from the CEO down, CEO of a big company, super busy guy, he personally and his executive team personally spent enough time convinc- with the, these teams so that they knew that if they came up with good ideas, he would not just listen to them, he would do them, he would approve them. So, you know, that's we, we get 
the idea was to couple his power and his vision and his inspiration with their knowledge and their day-to-day experience. And you needed both of those to make this work. I think that's a very good point. People aren't going to volunteer ideas if if nothing's going to happen or it's going to go uh, fade off into space. So number six is other people have great ideas. Just ask your new hires and your vendors. Yep. So one of the risks um, that the with people closest to the work, if they've been there a while, you know the the boiling frog story. <laughs> you're slowly boiled, and the the the, the frog yeah, is slowly right. boiled, and they don't know it. So we get very used to bad situations over time. So a fresh perspective it, are these new hires and your vendors. Um, we had a an example where um, a company had been doing this process, you know, for I don't know a decade, and when they started doing the process, they used pink paper to identify a certain subject. And whenever the process was redone, they would hire, um, they would have a list of supplies they needed to get, and pink paper stayed on this. Well, they had ceased using pink paper years earlier, but, you know, they still ordered it. So they were stockpiling pink paper, and a new person comes in and says, okay, um, why, why am I ordering pink paper? And nobody could remember. (laughs) <laughs> and nobody knew why. <laughs> so the new hires and even your your vendors who you know have a great perspective because they're seeing your competitors in a lot of cases as well. Not that they're going to you know give you information they shouldn't, but you know they have a lot of perspective that most companies don't take advantage of. So we suggest you know interview those new hires, um, give them a couple months or six months or something, so that they see the problems. But they're a great source of new ideas. I think that's a great suggestion. And we've got a few minutes here, so I want to get past these uh, these next four. Yep. Uh, I thought this was an interesting one. The five surprising words that keep a good executive from being great is, "I want everyone on board." Yeah, we. Have so what you're long- saying is looking for consensus uh, sometimes uh, keeps from some a great idea from germinating. Yeah, we, we, you know, everyone talks about command and control and top-down decision-making and how bad that is, and that was the old days, and now we're all about teamwork and consensus. And yes, top-down command and control is bad, and yes, of course, teamwork is good, but we've swung way too far. So many bosses are willing to basically cede a veto to anybody on their team who expresses an objection, and that's not leadership. You do want to make sure you get the facts from your team members that you need to weigh in a decision. But you don't just want someone's discomfort or opinion to be allowed to veto uh, a good idea that, that the boss should say, you know what, we're going to do it. Yeah, and it's good. And then the next one is everyone is entitled to their own opinion but not their own facts. And you quote Daniel Patrick Moynihan, I think, in your book. Yep. Yes, yes. This is another one of our top quotes. Um, well, you know, we've talked about the search for truth, but what happens is that executives in particular seem to tolerate opinion a lot. And it goes in conjunction sometimes with serial meetings. So say you're, you're the boss, and you've got one division head coming in and saying, um, you know, we're spending too much money keeping our call center open 24 hours. And then the, uh, the uh, you know, a couple of days later, the next guy comes in, and he's in charge of customers, and he says, we absolutely need this 24-hour call center because our clients are calling, and, and, you know, it's important to them. And you're sort of left with, well, who 
do I believe? Well, you know, make them come together for the facts. Have, have those folks get together and say, well, what is reality? Who is calling at 3 in the morning? And if good customers are calling, is there some uh, better way to serve them than to just keep the call center open 24-7? And when you do that, uh, a lot of conflicts go away when you force people to agree on a common set of facts. I think that's that's smart. Uh, and quickly, let me. So the the ninth one is the obligation to dissent, which I think is great. It takes a lot of courage to uh, have a dissenting opinion to the the what seems to be the consensus. And then the last one I want you guys to talk about is mom should have said, "Don't always do your best. You can find the time. Now use it wisely." Yeah, so that's because we do, we do a lot of gold plating. We all do it, right? We polish that PowerPoint seven different ways from Sunday. We, you know, write the huge long email rather than just pick up the phone and have a 30-second conversation. We, we were at a utility that built their, their uh, facilities to last 75 years, even when that standard no longer was smart because that standard had been set a long time ago. So this is all about, yes, you, you, you want to be someone who excels, but if you're wasting time excelling on something that doesn't matter, it means you're not putting your talents to something that does matter. And that's why we say don't always do your best because you might mm-hmm. be wasting a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I th- and that's a valuable lesson. That is definitely a valuable lesson. Well, uh, Jeremy and Terry, unfortunately, we've run out of time, uh, and we will have a link to your uh, harvestearnings.com website um, and where they'll be able to find your book. Uh, and and uh, again, what I love about the book is it's an easy read, and you don't have to read it straight through to yeah. have it uh, make sense for you. So, um uh, with that, we're going to sign off from our guests today, Jeremy Eden and Terry Long, founders of Harvest Earnings and authors of Low-Hanging Fruit, 77 Eye-Opening Ways to Improve Productivity and Profits. And you can find them at www.harvestearnings.com. Thank you again, uh, Jeremy and Terry, for being on the show. And um, we'll take a quick break and be back with our final thoughts on the uh, show, The Second Stage. Sure. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance, tax, consulting. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. 
Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. Uh, this is Jeff Cadlick, and uh, as I said, my partner is uh, bailed on me today, but for good cause. Uh, this show is about uh, small business best practices, and I thought that the book uh, that Terry and Jeremy wrote, uh, Low-Hanging Fruit, 77 Eye-Opening Ways to Improve Productivity and Profits, uh, really has a lot in there for small business owners, and there's a lot of topics in there that are just common sense. And for those of you that don't have the book yet, um, and look, we wouldn't have on the show if we didn't recommend the book, but what's great about it, and and this is probably going to embarrass myself a little bit, but my producer, Barbara, uh, says that I'm good at it. This is a great bathroom book. It's a book that you don't have to read it straight through. You can open up a chapter, it read a few pages, and and you've got the concept, and you can put the book down and, and then get back to it when you have time. But in every chapter, there is something actionable that you can walk uh, walk away from. Um, you know, again, just very obvious and instructive things I talked about. Um, you know, they, they talked about the price tag on everything and, and, uh, Jeremy talked about his father, uh, in that segment, uh, you know, value engineering, you know, make sure, uh, that your, your product or your service is something that your clients actually want in terms of the extra costs and bells and whistles and efforts you're going into delivering that. Make sure that that is what your clients want. Um, ask why five times. Jeremy said that you know this is why uh, young kids, five-year-olds learn fast is because they just keep asking why. I think that was a great uh, analogy. And uh, how do we know that's true? Uh, you know, it's really about getting to the facts and understanding, you know, what the basis of, of that, that fundamental truth in the organization is to make sure that that continues to hold. Uh, you know, they talked about the analogy of, you know, uh, that was some rumor mill that they had heard from another uh, uh, factory. And, um, you know, things change in organizations. And uh, while your core values should never change, uh, your business plan will change over time. Uh, ask people closest to you for uh, closest to the work for their ideas. Yeah, the fact of the matter is, is in the example they use with PNC, 2,400 of the 2,400 ideas that top management chose to pursue came from the front lines. And I think that that is a very important point that uh, you, you got to get closer to the customers and the, the front lines to, to understand what's going on. Uh, other people have great ideas. And they, they talked about new vendors and, and new hires. We actually had all of our service providers here at Evolution Capital Partners come in and walk through our process to figure out how we could best work together. And uh, that was a very uh, important day as we developed our business and business model. You know, number six was the five surprising words. I want everyone on board. Uh, the five surprising words that keep a good executive from being great. I want everyone to be on board. I think that's it's just kind of funny. It, it, that wasn't the five that I was thinking of, but that's very, very obvious that at some point, you know, the, the, the boss has to say, this is the direction that we're going to go. And you can't wait for everybody's uh, feelings to not be hurt before you make a decision. Um, number eight here is everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. And as Terry said, you know, once you get the facts and agree on the facts, then 
really the the right answer should uh, evolve from that and and don't always use um, you know opinions to drive uh, the decision making the obligation to dissent we didn't get into that one because we run out of time but it's important that you have courage within your organization to raise your hand and say, we're not doing it right. Uh, I don't think this is the right thing to do, you know, so on and so forth. In the investment world, applying it to evolution, you know, uh, having courage is one of our core values because when you're making an investment decision, uh, you know, everyone's got to be uh, on board, of course, until um, you have to say that you're going to uh, – give direction, you know, going back to my earlier point on, I want everybody on board, but having courage is important. And then, um, yeah, their final analogy about don't always do your best. You can find the time now use it wisely. You know, I think that that is uh, a very, very good point. And, uh, they, they did a good job describing that issue. Unfortunately, not having Brendan here, I can't say that I've got any, uh, any funny, um, uh, phrases to to use to describe uh, what we talked about today. But I did think that this is a great book that has a lot of actionable advice, and I encourage everyone to to pick it up. And uh, I, I really enjoyed reading, as I said. I didn't read it straight through in one sitting. I picked it up uh, again and again. Uh, again, it's called Low-Hanging Fruit, 77 Eye-Opening Ways to Improve Productivity and Profits. You know, Jeremy Eden and Terry Long have been doing this a long time. They've generated a lot of results for a lot of, uh, you know, very, very large professional organizations. And it seems like they took what they've learned over, you know, these years and decades into a book that would be useful for a lot of small business owners. So I encourage you to pick it up and, um, and, uh, and read it. Uh, with that, I think we're going to sign off here on the second stage. I want uh, everyone to tune in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Um, we hope that you uh, have some good takeaways and some action items from, from this uh, show. And thanks. And uh, remember to continue the conversation on our blog at evolutioncp.com or send direct questions to us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Each week, we want you to think about your organization and what it could be. And always remember to have passion for possibilities. Have a great week, everyone. And remember just to get started. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.